Yeah, it was shit, actually. But you know what? The worst thing was the emotional and verbal abuse. The violence was one thing, but it was what that meant. What that meant for me on an emotional level. There was so much I couldn't do. I couldn't do what normal kids could do. The one thing I could do was ride my bike. Hello and welcome to Behind the Mother Mass. I'm your host, Annie Breen, registered nutritional therapist, master NLP practitioner, and transformational coach for exhausted mums who don't feel enough. My mission with this podcast is to lead with vulnerability by starting to lift the psychological mask you wear each day that protects you and others from the stuff that's hard to explain and talk about. It's about sharing from the middle, not just the open wounds or the healed scabs, but the messy middle. Let's go for honesty over perfection, because I believe when you transform yourself, you automatically transform your relationships and parenting by passing down wisdom, not wounds. So if you're up for that, you definitely don't need to do it alone. I'm here to lead you on what could be the greatest adventure of your life, behind the mother mask, back home to yourself. Hello, hello, and welcome back. Welcome to episode nine of Behind the Mother Mask. I hope you are well. So I'm just going to pause and take a breath because this is a biggie. This week I'm speaking to the truly inspirational Gwen Warren. Now I know Gwen from the online nutrition space. I'm actually currently in her hub which is her members group and this is part of her business fit business where she helps nutritional therapists and health coaches to grow their practice, to start and grow their practice whilst helping them shine out of their comfort zone and conquer their fears and create simple but profitable business and practices that they love on their own terms. So I am in her group. So I get access to Gwen on quite a regular basis. And honestly, she is so passionate. She is so kind. She's so caring and she's so intuitive. And I've got so much from being in her group. She is also a recreational athlete, competitive cyclist and single mum to two mini adult humans in Hertfordshire. And in her previous life, she was a program manager and leadership coach for senior managers. She also is a qualified nutritionist and fitness instructor, and she has her own property business. And she is a lecturer at some of the biggest universities and institutes for nutrition and lifestyle medicine. Honestly, I could go on and I will in the show notes so you can read all about her. She is a truly amazing person and such a magical soul, so intuitive. So that's what she does. But who is she? This week, I have to say that this conversation has really changed me as a person and my perspective on life. 
especially since listening to this episode back. So obviously when you're interviewing or you're chatting, you're having the conversation, you're in it. There's so much that you miss in a way, but also you want to go back and reflect and take it in from a different perspective, which I have done. And I have to say Gwen's story is profound. It has given me a lot to think about in terms of how I relate to my past and show up in my life today. And I'm truly grateful for being able to have this conversation and and hear Gwen. Gwen's work and lifestyle is very much based in her philosophy that everyone has the right to a joyful, vibrant and fulfilling life. And all of her work centers around her belief that everyone should love who they are and love what they do and do what they love. And the topic of our discussion today is finding freedom after childhood abuse. So we really get to learn how Gwen came to have this approach to life and this mindset and this absolute innate desire for freedom and joy and living life through the eyes of a child. I must give you a big warning um, that some of what we discuss is triggering it is more than that it is traumatic we do talk about physical and emotional abuse some of which um are explicit descriptions of violence which i know is harrowing and difficult to listen to gwen shares her story of the abuse she suffered at the hands of her own dad her earliest memory is of being hit when she was age six and this pursued for 21 years of her life She talks about how her dad took away her freedom and right to be a child. And that it wasn't until she was 16 that she even recognized that she was being abused. It actually took someone else to tell her because it had become her normal. She talks about her journey of healing and it's really a journey of courage which became her mission and it's a mission she's still committed to from realizing she does have a choice and taking the life-changing step of courage and standing up to her dad and actually escaping the physical violence all the way to uncovering the entrenched beliefs that she was left with and the impact of the emotional and verbal abuse, which she said was worse, to retraining her nervous system and reconnecting with her body and her inner child, the essence of who she really is. Some of what Gwen described is incredibly hard to listen to for any human with a heart. However, I see this conversation and Gwen and her journey as an absolute example of tenacious hope unbelievable courage and as a journey of self-exploration and discovery which actually takes us out of this world (laughs) yes Gwen shared the incredible gift she found out she had after breaking free from 21 years of physical and emotional abuse it is also the gift that taught her why she had experienced this trauma in the first place And this gift became a huge part of her path to becoming who she really or truly is. So 
this conversation goes off in some pretty multi-dimensional directions, which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> but oh my goodness, I am so grateful I got to hear Gwen's story and have this conversation with her. So I'm leaving that on a bit of a cliffhanger. I hope you find this as inspirational and fascinating as I did. Gwen just hopes that someone can learn something from her courageously sharing and so eloquently sharing her story. Then that that's our job done. <laughs> I personally think it will help and change the lives of many. So without further ado, let's get into episode nine. Hi, Gwen. How are you? Hi, Annie. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I am good. I'm <laughs> Gwen and I have just been having a chat for about half an hour and actually, actually 45 minutes. We should have recorded it, Gwen. <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> yes, you, perhaps we should. <laughs> anyway, um, you, live, you live and learn. <laughs> yes, we live and learn. But And we're going to repeat it. Yes, we are. So I actually, I was thinking about this the other day. So I, I'm working, I'm in Gwen's hub. And when you can um, explain a little bit about what you do, but mainly you help nutritional therapists to build the business that they really love that aligns with who they are. And you have this amazing hub, which is full of incredible resources and expert guests and you and trainings. And I'm in there. And every time I speak to you, there's something very intuitive about you because we don't ever speak for that long. Like we do these 15 minute calls, but I take away sometimes more than what I could on a whole bloody coaching course that's lasted weeks. <laughs> and one of the things, because it's relevant to what I do and maybe our conversation is you helped me come up with the words of working through. So when I was describing what I did with mums with trauma and kind of addressing the root cause to a lot of people's overwhelm and exhaustion, it's about working through it. And that for me has changed everything. And I think it really, not that it has to be hard work all the time, and we will talk about that as well. But I think it's a real kind of gentle approach to evolving and growing. So thank you for that. <laughs> really interesting hear you say that, because obviously I just do what I do. and But you're not the first person to say, that what they get from those 15 minutes feels really like a massive thing as if I've spoken to them for two hours or something and it's a real aha moment and I, I do think um, the intuitive thing is a big part of that so it's really good to hear you say that yeah no definitely definitely and you also you care you just get that feeling that you care so <laughs> we've had a chat before and I think our conversation is going to go in some directions that um, maybe hadn't been planned. But that is that is the whole point. Of this. So I'm excited for this. And, you know, what we are going to talk about, what I will say, and I've said it at the beginning, that I will give a trigger warning because we are going to talk about childhood abuse. So just to make you aware of that. But what I would really love to do, Gwen, is start with share a bit about about you and what you do and I know you've got if you've got two children one yes two two yeah. yes and um what your passions are what really drives you what's your mission just that 
yeah, that's that's actually a hard question to answer, isn't it? Really. Um, so what do I do? Well, I, so I have two children. I they're not really children. One is twenty, and the other one is seventeen. Uh, so my son is twenty, and my daughter is seventeen. Um, I've been a single parent since two thousand and eleven. And I have, well, I actually have three businesses. One of them is kind of a little bit dormant. So I started my nutrition business uh, back in 2006 and that was really successful, went really well. And I, because I was um, becoming a single parent, I realized that I had to make a real living from it or go back to corporate work, which, you know, I didn't want to do. So um, I did a lot of work. That's when I was introduced to the online space and more kind of one-to-many model of working, which is now what I teach people how to do. And then I also have my business coaching business for nutritional therapists, which is primarily my membership, The Hub, my low-cost membership, which I love. As you know, it's my, I just adore the members and I adore being in there and I adore running it. And then I started a property business in January 2021 because I'm all about freedom, passive income. And that is, you know, part of my vision. And in terms of, you know, my passions and interests and things like that, I'm, well, a lot of people know I'm, I love cycling. I'm actually, you know, I do love cycling and cycling is a real big thing. And I love adventuring and exploring on the bike and going across, you know, traveling the world um, with a bike and you know travel exploring adventure is is really my thing but actually I am madly passionate about the human body I'm absolutely fascinated by what it can do I'm fascinated by you know it's a miracle I I totally believe that the human body is just a miracle that we don't value most people don't value enough and at the end of the day it carries you into old age so you know I dedicate a lot of my passions if you like around the human body because I just you know it it enables me to live an incredible life so I like to give back to the body if that makes any sense whatsoever (laughs) it absolutely does and like what I'm hearing is like freedom and health and appreciation of your body and what it can do drives your passion and I I see that like drives your kind of approach to life because I see you out on your bike a lot yes you're in the online (laughs) space but you're not in front of your computer all the time you're living and breathing embodiment of what you love yeah yeah and it's interesting because the word health you know a lot of people a lot of my nutritionists I speak to they'll say I'm passionate about health but that for me doesn't really cut it doesn't really you know, and that's why, you know, I have an intimate relationship with my body. That's how I try to describe it. That sounds kind of <laughs> read into that what you will. But, um, you know, I just have a passion for maximizing our vehicle through which we can enjoy life. Yeah. And the more you, you know, the more you focus on that the more you enjoy life it's as it's as simple as that really um so where where do you think that's come from that kind of approach to life and that passion and that relationship with your body um I don't I don't know where my that relationship with my body has come from if I'm really honest I don't really know but I know where I know where my focus for enjoying life comes from I know where that comes from which comes from 
that comes from my experiences as a child growing up and not having enjoyment, not having experiences that normal people experienced and not embrace, you know, just not living life, not experiencing life in all its wonder and all its diversity and all its magic. And obviously, if it's okay with you, it would be good to go into that a little bit because I see you as like a you shine and ooze life. And yes, I agree with you with health. Like what is health? It's one of those kind of overused words, but it is that intimate relationship and respect of where you live, your home, which is your body. Mm-hmm. And you are an example of living in alignment with your energy to to hear that this has come from the opposite of that like suffering and what I'll just say here is a long time ago and I think it's years I watched a video in your open group so I wasn't in your closed hub I was in the open group and I've been following you and I, I it was a very personal video I think it was about how you got to where you are and kind of what was behind it and the backstory. And you were talking about the abuse specifically from your dad. And I just never, ever, ever forgot that because I just thought how brave. I This is going back where I wasn't doing any of this vulnerability shit. Like, you know, <laughs> this is like, what the hell? Like that someone speaking up about this horrendous experience as a child. And I just thought how brave and courageous you were and look at you an example that you can turn things around and I wonder if we could maybe go back and talk about some of the I I even think challenges is a really bad word to use but hardship struggles trauma that has helped you gain that focus yeah who you are and what you want what you deserve is that okay yeah yeah totally it and actually it's um it's not helped me gain a focus, but it's helped me truly understand what life is actually all about. That's that's what it's helped me to realise. So in many ways, you know, people do talk about pain and trauma as a gift, and I'm not sure I'm healed enough to be able to call it a gift, but I can certainly look back at it and say, you know, it it def- I am grateful for experiences that I had because they've made me who I am today. And you know, I mean, so basically I I grew up, uh, my dad was, he was Asian um, from an Asian background. My mum is Welsh and um, he was a violent man. He was an abusive, violent, narcissistic man. Now it took me, I didn't know he was actually a narcissist. I didn't even know about narcissism until around about 2018, even 2000, maybe 2016, I started first learning about narcissism but anyway anyway he was a very violent man and to put things into context my first memory of abuse violence was when I was six years old and I basically uh, did what a normal six-year-old child would do which is scream at a spider on the stairs so I screamed at this spider and I remember my dad coming up the stairs And he started shouting at me and yelling at me and giving me abuse because I was showing weakness. I was showing fear of a spider. And he punched me in the head with his fist. And the thing about about the violence that he gave, it, it was always in my head. It was always punches in my head and in my skull. 
And I don't know. I mean, I can't say, but I, I often wonder if that's because the bruises wouldn't show when he punched me in my skull. It used to be in the side of my head. He did other things as well. Like he he would hit me and like he ripped an earring out one day and um, he'd do other things. But a lot of I just my memory of the violence was around the head a lot. And so anyway, he punched me in the head and he made me pull the spider's legs off as a six-year-old child to show me how the spider wasn't scary and how I was more scary to the spider. And so that's my first memory of being hit. But uh, after that, it was it was constant. It was constant. It was all the time. And it was things like I remember going to the shop and buying some eggs, carrying them back in my, on my bike in the basket. And I fell off my bike and I broke the eggs. And when I got home, he hit me because I broke the eggs. I also remember him throwing plates at my mom in the kitchen towards her head. There was a lot of tears. I remember he... He fractured my brother's kneecap with a chair. And this was this was when my brother was like, I don't know, 18, something like that. He had this, it was a stool, not a chair, with big wooden legs. And he threw it at my brother and damaged his kneecap. Um, he used to have a metal ruler that he used to hit us with. It was, it, yeah, it was shit, actually. But uh, you know what? The worst thing was the emotional and verbal abuse. Right. The violence was one thing, but it was what that meant. Yeah. You know, what that meant for me on an emotional level. And, you know, there was so much we couldn't do. There was, I, I couldn't live. I, there was so much I couldn't do. I couldn't do what normal kids could do. The one thing I could do was ride my bike. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people, I talk about freedom a lot. Yeah. A lot. But I don't talk about it in a sense that a lot of people talk about it. They talk about financial freedom, being able to do what you want, when you want, go where you want, blah, blah, blah. And yes, it's all of that. But for me, it goes so much deeper than that. It goes, you know, it's emotional freedom, mental freedom, freedom from the shackles of your own mind. Yes. Because that that's the solution to ultimate peace and contentment and so for me riding a bike was freedom yeah. it was really you know the time I spent at peace in myself and I had one friend that I used to ride my bike with a lot I also used to do horse riding and I played the piano I did other things as well but uh, as, a, as a typical middle class you know girl growing up but none of it gave me joy because I would kind of really was only doing what my parents you know said would be a good thing to do uh, whereas riding my bike felt more like it was in alignment with who I really was and for me it was all about freedom and being out in nature so but yeah in terms of those experiences it really culminated in a final experience so and this went on for most for all my life and I until I was 21 the last time he hit me I was 21 and not only did he hit me, but he smashed my head up against a brick wall. I was basically going to stay with a friend for a weekend. And I went down to the train station, which was a little bit, he, he drove me to the train, train, train station because it wasn't walking distance from my house. And in my bag, I had a few bits and pieces, but I had, you know, for me at 21, it was kind of like all my possessions, my wallet, my purse, 
my you know passport things like that wasn't going anywhere but I I took some bits and bobs and I was going to stay with a friend for the weekend and I, I just graduated from university and for me graduating from university was going to be the day I was going to find my freedom because I knew that I'd be able to leave home then and I wasn't quite ready to leave home at that time but I was going down to the station anyway and he turned around and he said you're not going anywhere and he took my bag there was a bit of a fight because I tried to run away and he catch me he caught me and he took my bag and he threw it in the boot of his car and then he threw me up against a brick wall now bearing in mind when I was 21 so I remember weighing six and a half stone when I was 18 so I wasn't that much heavier at 21 I was probably just under seven stone very very tiny and for those of you who don't know me I'm only five foot two and I'm very very petite I'm very I have a small skeletal body so I just there's nothing of me and I mean he wasn't massive he was five foot eight but you know a man and an adult and he threw me up against brick wall put his hand around my throat and then he grabbed my forehead so I'm literally pinned up against the wall and he he punched he slapped my head and punched my head and then he basically um smashed my head I'm, I'm kind of doing the actions here but you obviously can't see because it's a podcast (laughs) but he had my his hand on my forehead and pushed it back repeatedly against the wall and then he drove off he he, of course I was collapsed in a heap then and he drove off and this is outside a train station and it was witnessed by a taxi driver so the taxi driver came over to me of course I was distraught I was in tears and And he said, I'm driving you to the police station and we're going to have that man arrested and I'm going to support you. And he was amazing. I wanted to marry that taxi driver. He was just one of those people in my life that I will never, ever forget. And he drove me down to the police station and I said, I don't know if I can have my dad arrested. I just don't know if I can do it. There was my mom and my brother and what implications would that have? And... um, So he said, well, I'm going to sit with you until you've made a decision. And uh, and the police were crap. They were absolutely awful. So bearing in mind, this was back in, gosh, 1992. So it was 1992. And I asked the police officer behind the desk if I could make one phone call. And she said, we're not a charity. I had nothing on me. I'd just been beaten up. I was a broken woman. And she said, we're not a charity. So. Oh, my God. The difference between the taxi driver and the police. Yeah. 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 But I couldn't do it. I couldn't have him arrested. So I managed to call my friend and her dad. Her dad came to pick me up, drove me back home and he kind of protected me so that I could pick up my stuff and my dad being the typical narcissist had that trait of where they over apologize you know and they say so he's oh my god I'm really sorry I can't believe what I've done I feel terrible I feel disgusted with myself you know the typical narcissistic response only then to abuse the next day so I got my stuff and I I um I I yeah, my friend's dad drove me to my friend's place. Then I moved out as soon as I could. 
and I had a bed sit. I'll never forget my first bed sit. I was in London. <clears throat> Still, I'm losing my voice. It was in London, and um, there were snail trails across the floor, and it was all. It was just a really shitty bed sit, but my God, it was my paradise. It was freedom. It was freedom. I was the happiest human on the planet at that point. I was free. 21 years. Yeah, 21 years. And, you know, I'm 51 now. And I remember, I've. this might sound a bit odd, but I have literally spent all my life waiting for the day I was 43. Because when I turned 43, I could say, I've spent more of my life out of abuse than I have in it. Goodness. I waited all my life to turn 43. I Does mean, that make any sense to you? I mean, can you relate yeah. to that? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what I will just say is I've heard some of this before and I was destroyed by it just to let people know how upset when I heard it for the first time didn't I Gwen that we I have because I it's hard to know what to say yeah Um, it's hard to know what to say because it's it's I don't think there's anything no I can say but I also don't think there's anything to be said Yeah. yeah I think do you know the difficulty comes because I've spent most of my life trying to heal from it Of course, one of the biggest lessons in healing is to come out of victim mode and understand the lessons and and understand the growth behind it. And the worst response is when people validate the victim element of it. That's because that's not what you want to hear. But people don't often do that. What I tend to hear is, you know, things like, oh, my God, A, I would never have thought that you'd gone through that because I see you as a confident, independent, um, successful woman. That's, you know, other pe- what other people say. And so they tend to kind of say, you know, you've obviously come through a lot and achieved a lot and found a lot of courage along the way. And so that's a beautiful thing to hear for me because mm-hmm. the courage piece is, yeah, I... that was a big journey for me finding courage what I'm what really struck me is this that your bike was your free that kind of taught you what true freedom is Hmm. although well it didn't it didn't I mean it was the start of learning about of learning about yeah because I still lived in a bit of a prison and I still had yeah so how did you you said how it affected you emotionally what what did it teach you about yourself what did it make you believe about who you were and you and how did you cope how did you get out of bed each day how did you go keep going does that make sense what was the mask you wore yeah um in terms of what I believed and and what it what it was growing up is so basically he took away my right to be a child he took away my freedom but he also took away my right to be a child and that's why I believe I'm quite childlike in my approach to life now because I really do feel like I'm making up for lost time even now at the age of 51 I'm making up for a childhood that I didn't have 
And that's a very beautiful thing, I think that, you know, but in terms of what I believed and how I coped, um, and this is, this comes from the work that I've done to understand my subconscious beliefs, which have been driving my behaviors until I started to change things. And I've, I learned that I'd say my three top beliefs as a child, number one was I am defective. Number two is I am responsible for other people's emotions. And number three was my needs are not as important as everybody else's. <laughs> and so I have had to address those subconscious false beliefs. Yes. But they were instilled from before I could even speak. And I think this is the difficulty is when the abuse is childhood abuse, you don't articulate this, these beliefs in words. You just carry them as feelings and emotions. You don't know that you think you're defective, but that's how you live. That is how you live your life. Mm -hmm. And I also lived a life where I hardly spoke, certainly not to adults. I was freaking terrified of adults mm -hmm. and speaking to adults because another belief I had was adults are dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Adults are, are not safe to be around. And so that, or strange adults, certainly. And so how I coped, again, because I was so young and my coping me mechanism started before I understood language, my coping mechanisms were about how to not to get hit, how to not, how to not get hit. Mm. And so that was basically keeping quiet, not speaking, mm. not communicating, not expressing yourself and hiding, hiding away in my room. I basically, basically, I grew up in my bedroom on my own. That that was, that was how I, that's how I felt the safest was in my bedroom. And I had a huge imagination. I used my imagination as escapism and I used to make things and I used to create little things in my, in my room on my own. And, and, um, and also I had, um, we lived behind, um, a field and the field had horses that were the, the horses were actually chained up um I don't know who they belonged to but I often used to go for and this is another reason why I feel I'm so content in my own company and I travel the world solo and have no problem with it mm -hmm. because that's what I did as a child mm -hmm. um I obviously didn't travel the world but I I I only had myself mm -hmm. I wasn't really allowed to see friends particularly and um, and I couldn't make friends. Christ, you know, how can you make friends when you believe that you're defective and and you know messed up in the head? You 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 don't make friends because you don't believe you're worthy of friends. Yeah. So um, I used to go for walks to see the horses, and I used to feed the horses, Aww. and I would connect with the horses, and that was real. Yeah, that was a coping me mechanism. So being with the horses, being with my imagination in my bedroom, riding my bike was a big one. And also, and, uh, you know, this is a whole subject in itself, but I reg I changed my nervous system. I, I because when, when you're constantly faced with violence every single day, you don't know if it's going to happen or not what happens to your nervous system is it goes on a constant state of alert 
and it's constantly on alert 24-7. And it's literally like, I'm sure the average person can imagine this, that, you know, when somebody's about to hit you, what happens? Your whole body goes into a state of tension. You, um, Your muscles tense up. Your stomach goes inwards. You mm-hmm. close down. And you are very, very rigid. You're very rigid. Just like before you have, you know, before you know something physical is going to happen to you. Well, that that was my physical state. Maybe that's where my adult love of my body came from because I spent all of my, and I don't even want to call it childhood because this goes all the way up until I was 21. Adolescent, yeah. Yeah, I, I, my body was super freaking tense the whole time. And I learned, as well as an adult that I have what's called an overactive oh, what's it called the, the 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 reflex system um startle I have an over overactive startle okay. response which means if I hear a door slam if I hear a door slam or a loud noise or a car beep its horn I go into a real state of you, the shock I actually experience shock because that was that's what I that's carrying trauma on a physical level in your cell in your cellular system that's your nervous system responding in the way it would respond as a child because that was my defense mechanism to any shit like it the minute I heard my dad raise his voice that's when my whole body just went rigid and so a loud noise will have the same effect on me now and so it's a bit embarrassing really because you know if something does happen that it really makes me jump and it will make me yelp and it just makes me look a bit, you know, a bit wired. But that's because my nervous system is a bit screwed up. And I, and I know and I know it is. Um, it's, I can relate to that massively. And also what you were saying about waiting to turn, was it 43? 43, yeah. Yeah, because I think you do reconnect with that child. Who, yeah. Oh God, all the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm more childlike. I say now I'm more child. I'm more like my four, five, six year old self than ever before. Mm-hmm. And that feels like a, an essence, like a soft edge. Yeah. So that's why I feel I connect with you. And I, I feel a real sense of joy when I'm talking to you because my, my expressive, carefree, joyous child is connecting with your joyous child because and both, I think, of those children, those inner children, are you know we're living in we're living a life that we didn't have the opportunity to live when we were supposed to live it. Do you think also? And I know I uh, I, I think of Edith Edgar when I hear you talk. You know how she talked about getting through the Holocaust and you're only a prisoner in your mind, and if you can use your imagination. And she said, "There's no hierarchy in trauma." And I know you can't compare people people's experiences and mine's very different to yours but I feel I can connect with you on that kind of non-verbal because I can sit in your pain as well because it's not just this like you go for this hard thing victim mentality you're healed or you're so strong it's more than that like the nervous system is so it's our wiring and I was thinking as you were speaking that your almost your mission in life has been to teach your body that it's safe but not only it's safe you can thrive you can have fun you can explore you can find freedom within and that creates freedom on the outside but it starts from within absolutely yeah and and what sorry do you want to say something on? yeah I mean I was going to 
going to say you, you're absolutely right, absolutely right, because my I realised that basically it, it you know as an adult it 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 took a while. I mean, I was 16 years old before I realised I was suffering from child child abuse. It was that normal to me, and it's all I knew that it took an outside person to tell me at 16 years old that I was suffering child abuse. And that was a real wake up call. And then I had another wake up call. I don't know, I was possibly about 24, 25, maybe, when I realized that I was a prisoner in my own mind. And I, I also, but I also realized in that moment, and I don't know what triggered it, but I realized in that moment that I had a choice. I had a choice to live the way I was living for the rest of my life, which was self-hatred, masses of self-hatred, insecurities, feeling unsafe, not being able to connect with the people in the way I wanted to connect because I was too fearful, having a lack of, you know, self-respect, all of those things. I realised that that was going on and I, but I realised I've got a choice. I can either live like that for the rest of my life. And I, and I remember thinking, how would I feel if I was on my deathbed, knowing that I had a choice to change, but not trying to change and, you know, dying with this legacy of self-hatred. And, and I thought, well, that's just a non-negotiable. There's no way I want that to happen. And I realized that I could make a choice. I could choose to be a different way. I could choose to be a different person. I realized it was a choice. So that was the day I set myself the task. <laughs> How are um, you? Sorting my shit out, <laughs> which um, took rather a long time. I think I was, I can't quite remember. I think it was about 23, 24. Mm-hmm. And I remember somebody saying something to me at work at that time. And I was, um, because I was such a fearful person, I was so scared of everything and everyone and, and myself. And of course, one of my defense defense mechanisms was aggression, right. but not, not physical aggression, but I could be quite verbally aggressive sometimes. And there was a most lovely man at work that I worked with. And he just said to me one day, he said, Gwen, you're such a lovely person, but why are you so aggressive sometimes? Wow. And you know what? That was that was a mirror to me. And I just thought, wow, I you're right. You're absolutely right. Sometimes I've got this aggressive side that comes out. Where does it come from? What's that all about? It's hurtful. I don't like it. I don't want to be that person that's not who I want to be and so I think that perhaps was one of the triggers to change I I tell you what else sorry you were going to say something go on yeah no 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 because I was just going to say the turning point because I think that the driver the taxi driver was so pivotal I can't believe I understand that was your normal but to get to 16 you know where was where was everyone? But but there was the taxi driver, and then you moved out into this paradise of a snail trail flat, but it was your <laughs> paradise. And that I what I'm hearing is that's when 
the residue effects. You were free from the physical harm, but the emotional imprinting was there. Starting to and show this, itself. Yeah. And this guy um, came and yeah. held this mirror to you. And then you had that penny drop kind of light bulb, that that choice at 23 that I get to choose. Do you know not many people get realize that until they're like 40, 50? Yeah. yeah. And and I'm very grateful for that because that was that was one of my most important wake up calls that I realized I had a choice in who I wanted, who I could become. And, and, you know, one, I, I would say perhaps if I was to, to come up with one, one pivotal moment, and I want to share this story because you could probably, you're looking at me now, but your podcast listeners won't see my face. The pride I have in this moment still lives with me today and I remember being, so I, I went to, you know, one of the reasons I went to university was to escape the violence, you know, which is one of the reasons I didn't really study very hard at university. I lived, I just lived at university. I had fun, you know, I didn't go to lectures and things like that. Still managed to get a degree, but um, I, I was, I started talking about my experiences only from the age of about 16 onwards. I, I kept very quiet about it before then. And I started to make amazing friends at university. So I started to tell them what was going on at home. And of course, you have to go back home <laughs> at Christmas and Easter and summer holidays. So every time I went back home, I would be terrified. I'd be terrified of, of the violence again and terrified of the abuse. And it wasn't, as I say, it wasn't just the violence. It was the way I was spoken to. I was told things like, I wish you were dead. And, you know, you're bloody ignorant and you're honestly it was just the the verbal was just as bad if not worse than the, than the physical anyway um so I was telling one of my male friends at university who became a bit of an uncle figure for me because he was a mature student and he said to me there's one answer Gwen and I said what's that and he said you have to hit him back now remember I'm 18 years old I weigh six and a half stone fearful self-hatred nervous of the world have this incredible nervous system that's on on high alert the whole time I'm just one nervous anxious wreck which I you know I didn't know I was for me that was the norm and I said to him I started crying and I said you just don't understand he will kill me he will literally kill me and he will you know I won't I'll be homeless because my dad had already tried to kicked me out of the house when I was 16 before you know I'll be homeless I won't have anywhere to live blah, blah, blah. you don't understand there's no way I can I could there's no way and he took me by the shoulders and he said Gwen he's a bully and people like that to you he may seem really powerful but actually the reason he's doing it is because he's a very very weak man he's a very weak man which means if you hit him back he will have no idea how to cope with that so anyway, go back home, <laughs> it was Easter holidays, and um, I I went out one evening. My curfew was always ridiculous. It was always like 10 p.m. I had to be back by, and I was 10 minutes late, and I knew that he would hit me because I was 10 minutes late. So I'm psyching myself up, and as I'm psyching myself up, I tell myself what the options are, and I say, right, your option is to do nothing, and you just carry on this, perpetuating this cycle of abuse. Your other option is to hit him back and you end up in hospital. 
how is that worse than 18 years of physical abuse? And I just thought, well, it's not being in hospital. So that's okay. I can, I can deal with that. And the other was that you'll be homeless. And I just thought, well, I've got friends. I can get a job. If I need to, I can leave uni. I can get a job. Yes, it's not going to pay me very much and I'll end up living in a shithole, but it's still better than this. It's better than this. Anything is better than this. So I walk through the door. My dad raises his fist and he punches me in the head. And I had a pair of boots in my hand, a pair of cowboy boots. They had this big wooden... Um, well, I thought it was a heavy heel because, yeah, I mean, looking at it now, it probably wasn't very heavy at all. Anyway, I go up close to his face, literally nose to nose, and I point my finger at his face and I go, don't you ever hit me again. And I get the boots and I whack them around his head. And of course, then he hit me back. And so then I start hitting him. So they were both punching each other in the head. And my mum's standing watching, going, oh, my God, screaming, oh, my God, stop, stop. But do you know what? There was a part of me inside that was loving it. Because it was the first time I stood up for myself and the first time I set a boundary and the first time I stepped into my power ever, ever in my life. I can feel the power. (laughs) time I experienced myself as me as the essence of who I truly was and um yeah it was bloody awful but actually it was bloody brilliant as well and he didn't lay a finger on me again for three years you know what felt powerful was your your words you never hit me again don't you ever hit me again yeah I'll never forget saying that to him and um it was it was a massive turning point. It gave me, I cannot tell you the confidence that gave me as a human being um, because I I pretty much then started going through life thinking if I can do that, if I can hit my dad back at 18. You can do anything. I can do anything. Wow, I can do anything. So it was 21, age 21 that you left, wasn't it, after yeah. that? Yes. Yeah. So what did that, and I appreciate this is not like a one-time fix, but what did the process look like of even accepting and understanding those belief systems, you know, to actually identify them, uncover them, and then working on how did you change your nervous system? Why? How did you change you? How did you become who you truly are? What did that? look like and I know that this is like a cliched journey it's massive and we're probably still on it but um yeah what did it look like yeah I mean well do you know what I I actually wrote a list of all the things that I did and experienced that helped help me on that mission because I made it my mission it's a mission yeah Yeah. I basically made it my lifetime mission so I did a lot of I started meditating did a lot of meditation started to do some physical stuff with my body you know I learned to become fit and use my body in that sense I got exposed (laughs) we've had this conversation with I did some uh, let's call them mind altering drugs at university and as my daughter walks (laughs) through the door listening to her mother (laughs) mind altering um and yeah they taught me things that 
you know, uh, that I, I learned from. I didn't, you know, particularly do it for that reason, but they they helped me understand the mind and they helped me understand non-physical experiences and the nature of reality. And then, so this we talked about this before, didn't we? So this really is the subject of another podcast, but yes, something started happening to me, um, which was also pivotal in my healing and growth. And that was I started having from that age. In fact, interesting, isn't it? From yeah. after I hit my dad back, I started having um, spontaneous out-of-body experiences and I would have them on a regular basis so I've been having them now for I don't know 35 40 odd years um they would happen about three times a week spontaneously every week and the thing is I didn't know what was happening to me I thought I was dying because I knew about the people, you know, when you you watch Tully and you see people in hospital and they're, you know, they're being their lives are being saved basically, and they're in the hospital and they do share experiences about being on the ceiling and watching the doctors. Mm. I knew I I'd seen stuff like that. So every time it happened to me, I thought I was dying. So I never told anybody about it. <clears throat> and also, how do you how the heck do you say tell people that? <laughs> you know, it's like telling. Yeah. You're mad, you, you yeah. know. So I kept that to myself for many, many years. In fact, I didn't actually tell anyone until I was thirty. No, I didn't tell anyone until I was forty. So, and what? It, what is it? And so, what happened? Yeah. What did you learn? Well, it's called many things. So, you astral projection is another yes. is another um, thing that it's called. Um, but for me, it was very much an out of body experience. And gosh, what did I learn? It, well, in a nutshell, <laughs> how do you summarize that in a nutshell? We'll do it in another um, podcast. But just... yeah, we are going to do another podcast about those because when you're out of body, you can do anything. You you can do anything and go anywhere, and you're fully conscious. You're fully conscious, so you know exactly what's going on. Now, some people actually see their bodies and some people don't. In the early days, I could see my body. And so that freaked me out. That's why I felt thought that I was dying and why I didn't tell anybody about it. And it and I was terrified. The whole experience used to terrify me. And it terrified me for a good 20, 25 years where I did. I just experienced this thing and I never spoke a word about it. And then one day it was similar, actually similar to the kind of almost the childhood abuse, because I got to the point where I thought, I'm sick of being terrified of this thing that happens to me. I'm mm. sick of being terrified of it. I'm sick of being scared. I'm I'm sick of it happening to me. And I don't want it to happen anymore. And I thought, right. So I said, okay, well, let's rationalize this. Let's let's think about this rationally. Do you ever die? Uh no. Does anything bad ever happen to you? No. So next time it happens, why don't you remind yourself of that and see if you can relax? See if you can relax into the experience. So sure enough, sure enough, um, it happened again at one point. And cut a long story short, I mean, I, I always knew when it was happening because my whole body vibrated. And, and it's part of a lot of other experience, people who experience it, experience these vibrations as well. Anyway, so the vibrations came. And um, 
And I thought, right, this is it, this is it, okay. And I could feel myself starting to get scared, which is what normally happened. I get really, really scared. And I try physically and stop it from happening. But this time I just said, right, Gwen, you don't, you're not going to die and nothing bad is going to happen to you. Just go with it. Just go with it. And in that moment, my whole body just relaxed and I felt what I would call my spirit pull away from my body. It was very physical movement. It feels, it felt physical. And I pulled away from my body. <laughs> and this is the start of the next podcast. And then I, I flew out the window and went to, um, and I, I started traveling. I started going to other places and meeting people and meeting non-physical beings in a non-physical dimension. And I started exploring other dimensions and learning my lesson, learning lessons from that. And the thing is, for those of you, for those skeptics who are listening to this, when there were two things, one thing that was really powerful about that is that it was only until I conquered my fear of the experience that it became an incredible thing for me. The other thing is I wanted to use science to explain it mm. because I wanted to know what was going on. And that was the start of me exploring quantum physics. So I actually started learning about quant the quantum yeah. and atoms and, you know, going down into a real microatomic level on the nature of reality, the nature of matter, how matter is created. Um, and also I looked into non-physical um, science as well that we knew of. And that took me down all sorts of interesting, fascinating roads. And I came to the conclusion that there is a scientific, you know, there, there's a scientific way of exploring the non-physical. Um, and, you know, very much of that was my journey in learning about quantum physics and 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 also it started to explain to me why what I experienced it happened to me and I started to learn about you know how I could use this mm. to grow and learn and evolve from and you know one of the things that still amazes me today is that you know, whether you believe in a spirit or God or whatever, whether you believe in that or, or not, it amazes me that people think that the physical world is all there is. Yeah. Because there's so much evidence around us that that's not correct. And one of the things when I was looking at it scientifically, one of the things that I learned is that atoms are actually 99.9% .9 space. Mm. Did you know that? No. An atom is 99.9% .9 space. And physical reality very much mimics the quantum reality. And that basically means that 99.9% .9 of what occurs in the world is non-physical. It's yeah. space. It, it occurs within the space that we can't see, the stuff we can't see. And actually the physical bodies, the physical beings, the physical events and circumstances around us are point point not 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 one percent of reality wow now doesn't that opens up a whole oh yeah i mean I'm world there. of opportunity <laughs> yeah that opens a, opens a whole world of opportunity and experience and life that's to be lived and to be had and to be experienced 
it just meant, you know, we talk about oh, having perspective. That is real perspective from different realms. And what did you learn? You, you just touched on why it happened to you. What did you learn about maybe the origin of the trauma or? Well, th- so this is where I learned. So, so because your podcast is on generational trauma and stuff and, mm-hmm. and it was, I would say it was probably only 2019 when I realized actually that these patterns of trauma are carried through generations, we hold them in our DNA, DNA. And this traumatic abusive patterns are carried throughout generations and you pass them on to your children uh, unconsciously without knowing about it. And of course that scared me as a mother, but it makes complete sense, right? Because the very simplistic way of looking at it is, and, and I found this is when I found out my dad was abused as well. Not mm. only that, but my mum's female family side, there's trauma there, you know, mm. and you carry you carry those patterns down. And I realized that because, you know, true to type, I, you know, very unfortunately ended up in narcissistic, a few narcissistic relationships, which made complete sense now Mm. and do you know the thing is you don't people say you attract narcissistic relationships but you don't Mm. you just go for what's familiar yes and it's familiar from a subconscious point of view it's a it's an energy that you're familiar because ultimately even when even when you're abused through violence or whatever that's still your family, that's still your father. And so you still attach a sense of safety and security on that because, Mm -hmm. you know, the world teaches you that safety and security comes from your parents. Mm -hmm. So you you still believe in some way that there's some kind of level of security there. And so we, we actually, as human beings, we look for partners who instill a sense of security and safety within us. That's what we do. And it depends on your childhood experiences is what level of safety you look for. Yes. And what, you know, and that recognition of familiarity. Yeah. So um, I can't remember what your question was, <laughs> but um, yeah. So it was about the generational thing. Yes. Yeah, so that's when I realized unless I changed the pattern. Yeah. I was going to be part of the problem. Do you and know? So then I realized through all my experience, my, um, multi-dimensional experiences that I had a choice I had a gift and I had the ability to change the pattern for generations to come that is so powerful um and I heard the other day you just made me think about it it takes two people to create a pattern one one to break it yeah yeah absolutely and your experience um which, you know, is not an everyday one. I want to know more. I think the closest I'm going to get to is psychedelics, but, you know, um, is offering a a different, a different, I keep saying the word perspective, but it's more than that. You know, we, we talked about, actually, before we came on, we talked about this um, idea of integration, which I talk about a lot. And I think, did you say it taught you not to be scared about yeah. fear? Yeah, it taught me the biggest lesson that that I learned 
that we all should learn is when when you really understand the essence of who you really are as a non you know in a non-physical way you realize that fear doesn't actually exist and it's a concept in our own mind it's a, it's a mental construct um we even have mental constructs of who we are as people mm-hmm. and you know uh, we live our entire life based on mental constructs that's what conditioning is that's what our programming is it's mental constructs so when you remove all of those mental constructs, which is what happens when you're out of your body, or you, you've got no mental constructs going on, no concepts, only energy, only the energy of mm. what exists and who you are. Fear doesn't play into that. There is no fear. And there is no, there are no limits. There are just no limits. And the most incredible thing about out-of-body experiences is the minute you can feel fear, because everything is a choice you can choose to feel fear Mm. so you can still have negative experiences out of body and I've had some the minute you perceive that negative experience with a sense of fear is the minute it escalates and gets worse Mm. well let's just take an example of um let's just say you see like I don't know, six-headed monster or something like that right the minute you get frightened of that is the minute it becomes a 10-headed monster and a 12-headed monster and then it grows bigger and it's an even bigger monster and then it starts to consume you and it starts and there's no escaping and you're never going to get back and da, 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 da. and and that's when because you feel you're holding on to fear but the minute you say to yourself I'm going to release this fear and not be frightened because this monster isn't actually doing anything to me then suddenly the monster turns into a pussycat you know I'm just using these image this imagery as a analogy of fear and and how that translates into the physical world because that that's how fear works within us in in the physical world is for as long as you choose to feel it or for as long as you choose to attach to it because you can still feel it you can still feel fear but you can choose to detach from it it's very difficult to describe how you do that but as soon as you detach from it that's when amazing things happen uh, that's something I'm going to think about because honestly, when you were just saying about the six-headed monster, I was just thinking yeah. of Bonnie and some. She's not a six-headed monster. Your child. Yeah. I was thinking of some of the. Pa- I mean, massive parenting challenges, and I think a lot of what underlies it is the fear that you can't resolve it as a mother, like the fear that you're helpless, the fear that you can't make your kid feel better, the fear that like you can't stay in it with them. Just I think it underlines a a lot of things. And actually when you put fear out there and you just said the monster grows because they feel unsafe Mm -hmm. and their response to fear is more of the same the aggression the fight the kind of self-protection and it's just it's something I'm going to go away and think about very escalating thing a rough energy thing it is it is an energy and it's but it's an energy that you know you create and you can change and it's only perceived it's only perceived in your mind and the the thing so the other thing about being out of your body just as pure energy pure your pure consciousness basically your pure consciousness is that it's a very thought responsive world it's very very thought responsive so 
rapidly thought responsive. So the minute you start thinking something, because you still think, you can when you're out of your body, you still think. But you think it's a different way. You think in a different way. You don't use your mind mm. as such. <laughs> it's very difficult to explain this. Anyway. You're doing a really good job. When, <laughs> when you think when you're out of your body, whatever you think about happens instantly. Wow. So if you, let's just say, so a lot of my experience has been very much, very beautiful, very, um, the natural world, a lot of the natural world plays a big part in my out-of-body experience. So let's just say I see something beautiful on the horizon. I want to go there. If I think myself there, I can go there and I end up flying there sort of thing. It feels like flying, but it's, it's, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But anyway, you will go there because you think about it. Mm. And, you, and it happens instantly it's instantaneous it's all it's very telepathic if you think about let's just say so there was somebody I met out of body as well and I wanted to meet them again and I kept looking for them every time I went out of body and so I would I would think to create that presence in front of me and it would happen and the minute I felt a slight bit of fear and I attached to the fear, something scary. I, let me describe that. Right. So I remember a particular scary experience when I was walking down a lane um, and it was a wooded lane, lane again, lots of nature. It was in the a wooded lane. And I met a figure on the path in front of me. It was a dark figure, very, very tall, dark figure covered in these dark robes, very typical kind of you know childhood looking sort of monster and because a lot of this stuff stays in our conscious mind in our subconscious mind anyway he's there and I start to feel scared and as I feel scared he starts to grow in size wow and the more I hold on to the fear he gets out a knife and because everything is so real when you're out of body it, it's more fearful than a nightmare this is it it really terrifying and then I'm like, Gwen, Gwen, <laughs> stop feeling fearful. Stop feeling the fear. Just get rid of it. You know, just get rid of it. Just stop attaching to it. So then I thought, right, okay, detach from the fear. And as I detach from the fear, and this is so relevant to your podcast, Annie, you're going to love this. He takes the mask off. He takes his mask off. And I said, I say to him, what aspect of me do you represent? And he said, I represent the mask that you wear. Oh, my God. When you're frightened. So it was fear your mask? Well, no. So he said, I represent the mask you wear when you're frightened. frightened. So, you know, and we wear a number of different masks. Yeah. So it's not just one mask. It's it's all of our defense mechanisms yes. that come up that we've learned through childhood um, that protect us because at the time they keep us safe. Mm. They keep yeah. us safe. And so that, and this is where integration comes in. You can't judge these things for being negative. They are part of who you are. But as long as you're consciously aware of what those defense mechanisms are and you can see them when they're happening, then you can remove them or detach from them and understand as an adult, they're not necessary anymore. And what did that look like, that integration of like acknowledging those parts and almost looking at them through the lens of curiosity and understanding the need and what they represent. Like, what did that look like? Well, I'm still on that journey. Yes. I think too. integration is, it's, it's, I'm, it's hard. I find it hard, but it's also a very lovely thing because 
um, when you start to become conscious of all of what's going on and what has happened to you and who you really are, um, it allows you to look back with more compassion on yourself mm. and for acting in the way you did and for thinking in the way you did and for believing the things that you believe. believe. And so when you start to see yourself through more compassionate eyes, mm. you can actually see. So I now see my inner child, that six-year-old child, rather than look at her as with hatred, embarrassment and shame, I think she's a very beautiful thing. I think she's an incredible freaking little girl. And yeah, there are still parts of me that I hide. Absolutely. We've all got that. Yeah. There are still parts of me that um, stem back from my insecurities as a child that I don't like to show to the world still. Mm -hmm. um, but I know my logical brain knows that those parts are, are fine and they're still amazing and they're still, and it's okay to show them to the world. And it, just remembering, I think one of your questions was how do you, about when you take your mask off? Yeah. How do you stay in alignment? Yeah. Yeah. With I know when I'm wearing my mask. Yeah. And I know when it comes off. And so I have, I have a message that I tell myself I try to tell it to myself before every single interaction with every, any human being, but it's very, very hard. And that is to truly see the person in front of me for who they truly are so that I'm not focused on myself and be totally present with whoever's in front of me. Wow. And so that you're, because the more focused and present you are with who's in front of you, the more of the real you comes through. Can I ask you a question on that? Because this is really helpful. And I'm sure there will be people listening. I'm sorry, putting you on the spot a bit. Who, when you've been hurt and you've gone through trauma and whatever that looks like, there's a, a hangover in terms of relationships, isn't it? I.e. sometimes those people for reasons that you've explained might not be in your life anymore. They might not be around. They might have passed on, you know, all of this. But then there are a lot of people that still have those people in their life who may still be living in that trauma where they haven't moved on, they haven't evolved. And I don't like the word toxic. I know it comes up a lot. Like, I don't believe there's toxic people. There could be like heavy energy, but it's hard to have relationship with those people where you've got all this grown insight and you've you've grown and you've got this deeper understanding and you've changed but maybe they haven't but they're still a loved one a family member a mum a dad a brother sister so how do you what you just said see them for who they are engage with that so that it's not of an expense of your inner peace and energy i.e you're not kind of allowing yourself to come away feeling pissed off annoyed worn out you know you know that do you know that's a very very different scenario I wouldn't if you are in those relationships whether it's a family member yeah I believe the last thing you should be doing is looking to them for who they are because they are there to be your mirror what you should be doing is looking at yourself right because the reason you're there in that situation is because it's an opportunity for growth and for opportunity for you to break 
a pattern. Yes. But you can only break that pattern if you're honest with yourself about what's going on and you step into your own, you know, I want to say self-worth, but it if you've not got self-worth, it's hard, it's hard to do that. And self-worth is one of those wishy-washy vague terms that I don't, it's difficult to relate to when you when you're in that situation. But those situations are there to reflect something back to you. And so the absolute key thing is look for what it's telling you. Look for what it's telling you and be honest with yourself about that. And the, the next step to that is find the courage to change the pattern. And it's fear, it's fear that will keep you stuck in those situations. And it is, you know, if Jesus, you know, it's really hard to find that courage really hard but it's easier to find the courage when you look for the lesson and you look for what pattern it's telling you it, it's you know there's a message there yeah you know what so I remember one of my relationships that I had which was it wasn't physically abusive but it was certainly emotionally abusive when I looked for you know, what the reality of what was going on, what I needed to do, the pattern I needed to change. I knew I had to find the courage to take my mask off because it's the mask that keeps you safe. It's the mask that actually keeps you stuck. Mm. Yeah. Pretending that everything's okay or um, thinking that you're the problem or thinking that you should be able to resolve it. There's something wrong with you because you're not fixing the situation. And actually, all that all that involves is changing the pattern. And I remember, I remember literally thinking, "Okay, this is a really bad situation, so I'm going to take my mask off, and I'm going to feel in. I'm going to let the six year old dictate how I deal with this." Mm. So I took all my defense mechanisms off, and what I realized in that moment was that I was stuck in time. Mm. I was stuck in time as a six year old abused child and it was such a dawning for me it was like oh my god I am stuck I'm stuck in time I'm stuck in the past mm. all my behavior all my all my circ well not circumstances but all, all my behavior all my beliefs come from my past and and, and being an abused child and I realized then my the identity that I was carrying was I am an abused child and yes yeah. Oh my God, that's my identity. How awful is that? And so that was the that's when I found courage to walk away. And then I thought, okay, well, thanks for the lesson. That was a really great lesson. That was a powerful lesson. I am stuck in the past. Thanks for that. <laughs> I now need to change that. But I, you know, and that gave me the courage to real to walk away. And yeah. And then, and then the next journey begins and the next journey begins and then it, it's just you know yeah that was a realization that I had not that long ago about you almost get stuck in the age that you were when that stuff happened, the trauma happened. and yeah. 
I can lead from that child. I can revert back to being that child. I can also revert back to being that adolescent, like, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Um, And what's really interesting, but what doesn't step up very often is the empowered woman. So the mother would be there, the adolescent rebel, and then the child, you know, we talk about these parts, but the more empowered woman and who I am, you know, and, and what was interesting for me is looking at those different parts and looking behind them what the need was and often we have this common need of what they wanted and then we can integrate them as a whole that we don't have to be um fragmented almost all the time and this is what like you said Gwen this is stuff that we don't want to call it too much like hard work but it's awareness it's something that we're honoring I like that word each day that we're very aware of um and I just wanted I know that you you've got an appointment I think I just want to ask you um, we could go on and we will do a part two because it's just so fascinating um and everyone bring a cup of tea to the next one (laughs) um is is psychedelics yeah also psychedelics I'm going to be bringing the DMT um if someone is listening um we could do a live out of body experience if someone is listening and maybe they have been for a similar experience Hmm. and maybe they are out of it the physical but they haven't I want to say healed or acknowledged or done any kind of work on who they truly are at soul level and they're listening to your story what would you say to them that's a difficult question isn't it what would I say I do you know I would say find out who you really are at your core essence Mm -hmm. number one I would say number two no one is actually broken or actually needs healing. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the, that is the ultimate paradox. Yes. No one is broken and needs healing. And that's why I, you, we use the word integration. It's just about integrating. And the other is fear doesn't exist. <sighs> yeah. And do you know what? Imagine going and living today, at least, through the lens of, or the belief that fear doesn't exist. You know, just give it a go. <laughs> Yeah, just go, just you know, it just yeah, just give it a go, see what happens. Like you know, it was that. Honestly, you you you'll just. It's very hard though, isn't it? It's very hard. It's easy to say that um, because it has such a hold. It's it's a parasite. It's like a parasite that you have to get. As I say, you can't get rid of it completely, but you can detach from it. But even that, Gwen, so helpful just to have that kind of thought that you pause when you start to feel that fear mm-hmm. and that you can have that mantra or you say to yourself, like, it's not real. It's a mental construct it's in my mind. I'm OK. You know, it's how we start to tell the nervous system we're OK. And it yeah. might sound small, but if you just allow that awareness to it. Yes. I'm going to practice that awareness. That awareness comes from space. And I, and I always say, in any given circumstance, when there's somebody that's, let's say you've got two people, and or two circumstances, or, or, or a circumstance, and you have an opportunity to react to that circumstance or react to what that person has said to you. So the trigger is, or the stimulus is, they say something or the stimulus is something happens in your life. Let's just say you lose your job, or let's just say somebody says something really abusive to you, 
Okay, so those are two stimulus examples. You have the power to create space in between the stimulus and your reaction. Mm. And that space is where awareness is born. Yeah. So rather than, because when you react, when you don't leave the space and you just react in your usual pattern, in your usual habitual way, in your usual programmed way, that's how you perpetuate the pattern and how it goes on forever. But when you start, when you stop and say, okay, I'm not going to react, I'm just going to allow the space and realize or remember that I've got a choice is how I react to this. Yeah. A choice. And it's in that space that comes awareness. Wow. Awareness so really is the solution. It's the solution to everything. And actually, you know, awareness is healing in and of itself. That's why I say nobody's broken and needs fixing. Because as soon as you realize what other people call your limiting beliefs, like my limiting belief is I am defective and I'm responsible for everybody else's emotions. As soon as you realize you're carrying that, it's liberating in its in and of itself. And you're like, oh my God, okay, that's who I am. That's fine. I that's fine. They were just protective mechanisms that came up as a child, and that's cool. No big deal. I heard also, and I don't know what language it's in, but healing means whole. And that's what integration yeah. gives us, isn't it? It's feeling whole. That yeah. we are a whole person. I don't know if you have time to share that little story about your mum. And the hospital and the relationship. Oh, you have time. I do. Well, it's a very short but lovely story. So, so you remember as part of um, the interview, I was saying that I I felt that I'd been given a gift, an opportunity to change the pattern in my generational trauma. So obviously, um, I mean, my mum has suffered all her life because she was married to my dad for sixty years and suffered the abuse and trauma. And um, then shortly after he died, she developed dementia. So I feel that she hasn't really had, you know, the chance to live a vibrant life in any way. Um, but recently, so she's now in a in a home for people with dementia. And um, recently I contacted the, the manager of the home to arrange a visit to go and see her. And she said to me, but my mum has a man friend <laughs> and bearing in mind my mum is 85 and she has a man friend and I I kind of said oh that's that's nice is that good is that a good thing and they said well you know it's against our regulations and I said what what do you mean what's against your regulation and she said well put it this way they are actually sharing a bedroom together and I was like, oh, my God. And I and I said, um, I said, has he uh, has he done this before? And he went, oh, no, no, he's not done it before. And I said, OK, so he's not a player then. And, and they laughed. And she said, yes, they're very close and they spend a lot of time together. In fact, they spend all their time together. And so now when I go and see my mum, she's always, you know, he's always there. George's name is George or Jeffrey can't remember George, George or Jeffrey he's always there in the background waving at the window and 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 my mum's always saying oh, I must go because Jeffrey's I must go because Jeffrey's waiting for me and so she's found you know she's found a piece of 
contentment, even at her age, um, with dementia in a care home. And, you know, I think when you shift patterns, you sh when you shift generational trauma and you break the pattern, stuff like that happens. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Liberation's two-way. Yeah. So it's it's nice because she's getting a piece of, you know, being loved and cared for when she hasn't had that. Mm. I don't know how much she had of that as a child, but she certainly didn't. Ha you know, she married my dad at 28 and, wow. and was abused ever since. So, Cranky. yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to leave us with? It's been amazing. And thank you for sharing that and just saying, you know, the courage and the openness and honesty and what an incredible story. Cause I wasn't expecting the outer body. I didn't know about that until <laughs> earlier. And that's what I love. I love these stories. I mean, um, it is great for your podcast, but obviously, and I am talking very freely because at the moment, my little inner monkey is telling me it's just you and me but when you put it out to the big wide world yeah I'm going to feel the fear but I'm going to detach from it um but ultimately you know I just hope I hope people learn something from it that that's my ultimate you know my aim in life is to inspire people to live a life of freedom and that you know partly that means financial freedom and that's why I teach people to grow a business on their terms but it also means freedom from the prisons of your own mind because it is only your mind that keeps you stuck it is only your mind that keeps you in suffering it is only your mind that stops you from enjoying life and yeah you know that your mind creates wonderful things as well but it, it it's all the fearful stuff that it creates that stops you living a life that's full and vibrant and childlike I just, you know, I, I do have a wish and you might have this as well because I see the same thing in you. It, you know, I embrace my adult life now as a, I see it through child childlike eyes. And I just wish more people could do that because life is short mm -hmm. and life is not as damn serious as you make it out to be. And there is so much joy to be had. There's so much magic and diversity and amazing stuff that surrounds you on your doorstep that can fill you with happiness and ultimately that's what we all want we all just want to be happy yeah so if you can look at things through more childlike eyes it, it's an incredible world it, yeah. it's amazing amazing and what a reminder and thank you so much um, yeah. I've loved it. It's just like me and you, isn't it? <laughs> and a cuppa. Yeah, <laughs> could yeah. do this I don't all the time. Was. That felt quite long, but um, yeah. No, it is. It, thank you so much, and um, thank you for the opportunity, Annie. Thank you because it, yeah, the opportunity to spread that message is a wonderful opportunity. And there's so much in there. <laughs> Yes. so you know a lot. there's going to be a lot of seeds being sown and I think that that's 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 amazing and and thank you so much thank you for being you have a great rest of your day thank you and you Annie take care take care bye bye wow what did you think about that 
I mean, thank you, Gwen. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sharing your story. It has left me with a lot to think about. All positive. I think there's some deep, deep, deep life lessons in there. And I hope that this has done the same for you, especially if you can relate to Gwen's story in any way. Maybe you have your own version of this. I really hope that it's given you some hope and shined a light on a path forward. And what I would just say is if unlike Gwen, you haven't allowed yourself the space or permission or you didn't really know that you could heal and you could speak to one and maybe you've held this in for so many years please do get in touch because i would absolutely love to help you and if not me i will do my best to signpost you to someone who can but please don't suffer in silence anymore and if anything i hope gwen's story has given you permission to speak up and take that courageous step for you. Even if it is something that happened a long time ago, we know how trauma can stay in the body. It's almost like we live our life through that lens of those unhealed wounds and you don't need to. Another thing, when I recorded this, I was very much thinking about events that have happened in the past and people listening to this who could relate to that. But what I just want to say that if there is anyone listening to this who is currently suffering any form of abuse. Now, this is actually my previous area of, I say expertise, I worked for a domestic violence um, organization. It was very close to my heart. So I just wanna share the domestic abuse helpline, which is 0808 2000 427. Now, I had to click two times to get that number, which I do not think is good enough. And I can see there's different numbers depending on where you live, but that is the National Domestic Abuse Helpline. So I just wanted to share that in case that is helpful. I would love to hear from you. Please do let me know your thoughts on this episode and what resonated. I've put Gwen's details if you're a nutritional therapist or a health coach or you're in that space and you would actually need her professional business guidance. I've put all of her details in the show notes. Please go and give her a follow and get in touch with her. And I will probably speak for both of us that we're here to answer any questions. Please do reach out with your thoughts after listening to our episode. Okay, I will be back next week with another episode of Behind the Mother Mask. Take care.